You are now listening to Wave a Sound. Welcome to Versus Mike History. I am your host, Michael History. In episode 97, Jan Sneed joins the podcast to discuss R&B's role in today's music landscape, pitching a station with music that represents HBCU culture, and making a concerted effort to support indie R&B artists. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen. Subscribe to our newsletter for updates and podcast recommendations, and join our members-only community on Patreon for exclusive access to content. For everything else, go to VersusMikeHistory.com. Peace, family. Welcome to Versus Mike History. I'm your host, Michael History. And today we got Jan Sneed in the building. Big Jan, not the little one. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> it's so funny because I always like hate it when people call me Big Jan because I never seen it until recently. And it's like, oh, that's like a nod. Okay. Definitely a nod. <laughs> Definitely a nod. Um, <laughs> welcome to Versus Mike History. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming. I've been you know, meaning to do this for uh, quite a while, um, a year plus at least. And, um, you know, I just got you here to talk, talk shop, you know, we get into some music, uh, we get into a bit of your career, like where you've um, come from and where you've gotten to thus far. And uh, we just gonna have a good conversation, you know, Thank you. one for the people. So um, I get started with every episode now as of late with um, what are you listening to? Um, well, right now I'm listening to Zaya Bell's album. Thankfully, she sent it to me early. So I got that first listen. Um, that'll be out tonight at midnight. It's amazing. This girl is she's been doing music for a while, but she's finally starting to break um so her steve lacy bad habit is on my top picks um our lennox album is really good too mm. um and then fabo fabo is somebody i've been championing for a while now um we finally got him to a million plus spins on pandora shout so out to the team yeah excited about that um so i would suggest his single before i let her go off his latest ep um and then my wild card, I would say, is like Shannon Lauren Callahan, her new single called Got You. Mm. You're giving me some homework, so <laughs> I'm, I'm listening very closely. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, so let's uh, take a step back and get into um, who you are, like what do you do, and, uh, you know, the basics. Um, okay, well, my name is Yana Sneed, as y'all know. Um, I am a R&B programmer for Pandora. Um, I would say self-proclaimed executive producer A&R, which is kind of how I got my foot in the door doing uh, curation for Pandora. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I create experiences through Black music and culture. Talk, you talk. So, for example, one of the most recent ones that I, stations that I curated for Pandora, and granted, it's not like a brand new concept, but they didn't have it. Um, mm-hmm. So I curated HBCU Homecoming. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I just feel like 
that's such a huge staple in the culture. Like we do that every year and have been for decades. And I just couldn't really understand why we didn't have a station for that, especially considering we have um, country tailgate stations. So it's like, all right, well, we ain't at least got a R&B or hip hop tailgate station and we need a, a homecoming station at least. Mm. Um, so yeah, so essentially, like I said, I curate um, experiences through music and by form of radio stations on Pandora. Um, I'm also working to break artists on the platform. My forte here is indie R&B. Um, obviously, considering that there's me and my partner, um, Akeem Bryant, who is head of R&B, it's just us two. So there is a lot of the mainstream stuff that I'm tapping into in programming. But my main focus is indie R&B. This all sounds so wonderful. And, <laughs> um, you know, I want to get into... I want to get into uh, what led you to Pandora, like what got you through that door. But um, you brought up the HBCU channel, so I'm going to stay there for a bit. Um, You said that there are country tailgate channels and there is nothing like that for us. So once you brought this idea to Pandora, um, what kind of reception have you seen um, in terms of like reach um, HBCUs reaching out to you guys and well, the company and uh, things of that nature? So just to backtrack a little bit um the idea actually spurred because we are for the I think this is the second time because I'm pretty sure we did one a year or two ago but they don't have any stations so Pandora is partnering with um Morehouse to do their homecoming week um Mm. it's gonna be like an activation at Morehouse uh sponsored by Pandora this year and when I was talking to the director of brand marketing she was just like that they're building a mixtape um which is like a term on Pandora programming for like basically a playlist that has audio bites. Um, So it'll be hosted by, I believe, students and influencers within the Black community that have been at HBCUs and so on and so forth. A couple of the staff members, I think, are going to be providing a sound bite. So when she said that, I was just like, I wonder, do we have a station that we could like feature um, as like a content piece within that activation? And she was like, no, I don't think we have one. Um, So it kind of like inspired me to just go a little just deep dive a little to see if we did have anything like I said I had found that we did have country tailgate um and then my boss had really like literally a week before asked for fall programming and he was just like if y'all have anything for fall and back to school send it over because we're gonna do email campaigns around it um and initially I just was gonna send them like a morning station that we have like wake up in the morning go to school kind of thing um but then I was just like why not do a homecoming station that's definitely still fall in school Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as reception, to be honest, um, my my main boss, so not Akeem, there's a, another guy ahead of him, um, and he's white male. He's pretty tapped in though, so I'll give him a lot of credit. Um, and he was just curious, like he was just super curious. That was the initial reception was curiosity. Um, and he was just asking, like, well, what does this station feel like? Who would this station, who would this target like? what would be the reason for this station and then when I started talking about it and digging into it with him I just realized like there's just this complete disconnect and there kind of should be granted like I do feel like some things we do need to gatekeep like I don't really feel like black people need to be um breaking down all of these terms and concepts to white people like I don't think they have to understand what homecoming is to black people um but for the sake of the station I did feel the need to break down like what strolling man because I said there, it essentially would be like a stroll station 
with like a party feel. So you have the tailgate strolling and parties all mixed in one and that's the HBC homecoming. So he was like, well, what's strolling? <laughs> so <laughs> I had to explain strolling to him yeah. and how like that ties into the target audience because strolling is something that is, um, has been done for decades. So it's like, there's people who are like, I'm sure in their 70s or 80s who have strolled before and they're pulling up to these homecomings with these kids now who are in college and they're all strolling together. So this is a, a station that could target anybody between the ages of like 17, like the youngest college students to the oldest adults. Um, so I think that really sparked his interest because he's like, oh, I didn't even know that. That's interesting. Right. Um, American culture. Yeah. So <laughs> I really had a pretty good... Um, reception to be honest I was like they really love the stuff I do there because I'm one of the youngest on the team I think it's just me and one other girl and everybody else is way older than us mm. um but even when I launched it like they put a whole little piece about it in our uh e-blast to the company just to like hey we have this new station um and I had got a couple inquiries from some of our older black staff like oh is this true are we really doing an HBCU station like yeah guys we are mm-hmm. <laughs> which to me kind of was just like I just feel like we need a lot more black programming um for them to have asked that um but yeah say all that to say the reception was really good and I'm like really excited to like formally post about it um because I feel like it would be in my favor to post it later on when it's actually homecoming season which isn't right now um so yeah happy but, but soon yeah definitely soon like I think next month right so so um in order to i would assume that in order to get the ear of your bosses you would have to have some type of you know finesse or pull so let's get into like how you got into let's get into how you got into the doors of pandora and like how you made you know your work um speak for itself um so that's actually like it's it's always interesting telling that story because um I never worked in the music industry formally. Like I've never had a position within a label, a distro, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christina Jerome, the homegirl, shout out to her. She has been following me for a while. So she just knew I've always dabbled in music in general and then R&B in particular. And I have been doing a couple different playlist series. Um, so she's just always been tapped in. And when I moved to LA, which I don't live there anymore, but at the time she had been trying to help me find a job in music. That's what I moved there for. Um, so one day she just reached out like, Hey girl, this, um, job application got sent my way and I feel like you'd be amazing for it. Um, so I sent her my resume, my, um, portfolio. She sends it to Mike Hamilton, which at that point I didn't know he had anything to do with it. I thought it was just her because we didn't know each other, which also was just like incredible to me because one of his things is like, um, the sign of a great executive is uh, putting on newer executives. And like, he's definitely true to that because he didn't know me from a can of paint. Um, but he submitted my stuff to Akeem. And within like a week, I had an interview, um, which was crazy because it's like I told you, I didn't have any music experience on my um, portfolio or my resume at the time as far as like formally. So I just assumed it would be difficult to get in because I know within music, it's just like, if you haven't worked somewhere in the past, it's so hard to get a job um, unless you go through like internship or blessed in through family or friends. Um, so we did one interview and immediately he was like, you'll be hearing back from me. And within a month I was hired. 
Um, and it was just like a dope process. Like outside of just being grateful to finally be in music, like my previous experience with interviewing with music has just been like three, four, five interviews, doing all these different projects and shit that I'm not getting paid for. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, sorry, we found somebody better who obviously has eight different positions at a label already. So it's like, okay, well, you just wasted three months of my time. Thanks. So it was just nice to know that my passion bled through the interview and I didn't have to keep doing all these different interviews because he could see it immediately. Um, so yeah, so as soon as we uh, he brought me on in February and we've been like in lockstep ever since. And I've been so appreciative of this experience because everything I'm doing is being validated by the numbers. Like if you just look at all my numbers across the board, everything is a uh, positive growth, like significantly. It's not even like 2%, 3%. I'm talking 25% growth here, 30 there. Like it's like the numbers are there. So it's just nice to know that I can do everything that I say that I can do and I'm the real deal. Um, and I'm just glad that he believed in it off of one interview. Um, and not only that, I'm going to go ahead and back you up and reinforce you. Like, I'm not going to lie. When you first uh, hopped on the timeline with the R&B newsletter, even I was like, yo, that's such a great idea. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Like, like not even, first of all, it inspired the versus my history newsletter but that's a whole different conversation <laughs> we, we didn't even talk about that on the side yet but I'm, we're gonna talk about that um like the idea that there's somebody curating r&b for people to listen to in a time where everybody is talking about oh like is r&b dead and da 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 it's like yeah we need more people like that like if you know if you have the knowledge of what's hot what's good then why aren't you putting it to use in some type of way Mm -hmm. And like, there's so many ways to, to quantify it now, like to, to turn it into data. Like, yo, look, people are actually fucking with this. Like, this was a huge hole that we've, we've filled now. And, um, you know, what are we going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. And that was my whole thing. And it's funny. Cause it's like, when you and even other people, when they big me up about the newsletter, it's like, I don't even think it was that innovative. It was just like, I curate R&B. I get all the releases across the board in general anyway. So it's like, why not pull out the best ones and put them in one spot? Because your average listener isn't doing that contrary to popular belief. Um, it's just like, I just figured, why not? Nobody else has a newsletter. And I looked into it too. Like I made sure I wasn't stepping on nobody's toes. I didn't want to do something that everybody else was doing already. Um, and granted, obviously there's blogs that are that put out newsletters with their blogs, but it, it's not in the format that I'm doing it where it's literally just... Mm -hmm. Here's my top picks. Here's what y'all should listen to. And where y'all go. Um, because another thing I like to just let people know, like, I'm not a journalist. So don't expect a whole blurb from me. I'm not doing all that. I'm not mm -hmm. doing music reviews. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was something cool to do. And it's growing. I'm, like, super shocked. And people hit me up all the time. Like, how do I get in your newsletter? Like, <laughs> you can't. No. <laughs> if I find out about it, I'll put it on here. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, I want to talk about how, I want to talk about how, uh, you know, what goes into the process of, you know, expanding, uh, the scope of your work, you know, like, how do you, how do you, uh, make the decision of like, what type of projects you want to focus on next or what type of work you want to do in relation to music? Um, that's a really good question. 
I mean, I feel like right now, to be frank, I feel like curation in, I wouldn't even say proving myself, but more so showing myself to be, because I don't, I don't feel like I need to prove myself anymore. I feel like I, di- I did that for the first like five years of my career and I'm, I'm not proving anything anymore. You either see it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like because this is my first role though, in a sense, I do have to kind of prove myself to the company in that sense, as well as other curators in the field who tend to little bro me, um, that I know what I'm doing. So right now I'm just focused on putting together these stations and building these audiences for some of these newer artists so that I can essentially just like hang my flag on it. And I don't, not, I don't want to make it seem like I'm looking to do that, but like in this field, you kind of have to, right? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like you're a good curator if you're not breaking artists. And I feel like that's actually what's wrong with R&B right now and, and other genres too. Like, I don't, I don't want to speak too deeply into other genres. It's not my forte, but I feel like we keep complaining about how R&B is, oh, it's this, it's that, it's not this, and it's not that. And it's like, all right, but every time there's an opportunity to give an independent artist a cover, you're giving cover to the mainstream artists who we've given 80 covers to already. Like, we don't need to keep giving the same covers to the same artists. Um, and even beyond that, like, placements. Like, I just feel like there's, as a curator, now that I understand the space, which, because I didn't even realize how, like, this worked before I got here. Um, but now that I understand it, it's like there's so many different opportunities to really like break an artist. And I don't really think too many curators are willing to kind of like get behind these artists in a real way beyond like, oh, well, here's a quick placement on your on this playlist. And then after that, you don't really hear about it. Like what are we doing content with these artists? Are we interviewing them and putting them in front of bigger audiences? Like I know, for example, like with independent artists, there's a lot of indie focus stations or playlists across other DSPs mm-hmm. um, and a lot of time the indie artists will go only on those indie playlists but then you have these other major playlists where the bigger artists play and it's like why not just slip a couple indie artists on there and see how they do if they do bad then cool then just take them off it's, it's really that simple um and then if they do well now you've broken an audience or an artist to a new audience and you can continue like here and there finding ways to align with their team and get them these bigger placements and activations with your company like I'm sure other companies do like like I know we have an activation called the pop-up where we are interviewing artists it's kind of like a DJ takeover style playlist kind of thing where we feature these up-and-coming artists on these bigger stations and it's like their whole interview um and I'm sure the other DSPs have those different kind of opportunities where they can feature these up and comers on these bigger platforms. Um, but I just feel like there's just so much more we could be doing. Um, and even at my job, I'm not going to speak to it, but I will say I do feel like there's a lot more that the higher ups could be doing to elevate R&B and the independent acts. It's not even just the independent acts on our side. It's like it's hard to get marketing for R&B, period. Um, so I just feel like, say all that to say, the under, the underlying problem to me in R&B is money. Like, we need more money in R&B and opportunities to just put some of this stuff to the forefront so that we don't have to only champion a Chris Brown or um, a Beyonce. Like, there's so many other artists that we could be featuring. And that's not to say their music is bad either. I'm just saying, like, there's just so much other stuff out there. And I feel like a lot of this conversation around R&B being dead is because we're not really elevating all of the great stuff that does exist um right but yeah 
so that's kind of like my th- taking it back to your original question like right now that's kind of where I'm at with projects I'm not really looking to pick up any new projects per se so I don't really I'm like I haven't really found myself in a space where I'm like well what can I do next or how like how do I decide on what to do next like right now I just want to get good at what you by like. myself yeah so like Word. I could take this and move on and do something even better or or bigger for r mm-hmm. um I want to stay on curating for a little bit you know because uh when playlisting first got introduced in the streaming era um i felt like it created a huge uh space for people to showcase their uh their you know their style their taste whatever and then you know we all of a sudden out of nowhere all the curators had to had to uh go head to head with ai and you know the algorithms which makes it very unfortunate and um i guess it kind of created a vacuum in that space to where like people people's style and taste isn't uh at the forefront of what we listen to in in terms of playlisting because you know like a spotify or an apple are going to put their r&b rap caviar whatever on the forefront of their app and not like maybe somebody who has a huge following uh that like lives in your area who like has really good taste in music. Uh, and I want to get into how playlisting sort of differs from the work that you're doing with um, building the channels over at Pandora because uh, it's, it's different work. So I would just kind of curious as to know what the difference is between the two. Um, so my work is actually a combination of two because we do have editorial playlists, um, but most of our listenership lies in the editorial stations. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as the playlists are concerned, it's literally exactly the same. So the same way Spotify would um, put a playlist out like a rap caviar, we have the same exact thing, like we have new R&B. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is, it's literally like radio. So this is gonna be hard to explain (laughs) so when you are building a station so i'm gonna start from scratch um we have buckets right so within the station there's usually three buckets which would be power which are the biggest songs or the songs that you want to spend the most medium which is semi big or it might just be an older song that was big and isn't really as new and then light which is like I, this is a good song, but not really trying to give it that many spins. Um, or I'm not trying to give it that many spins yet. And eventually, like if it does well in that bucket, we'll move it up until it gets to power. Because um, another thing, of the buckets allow us to kind of like gauge how the audience is receiving the song. So if I put it in a light bucket, because we also can see the data, right? So on Pandora, it'll tell you the skip rate of the songs and the completion rate as well as the thumbs up, which is if people are liking a song or not liking it, thumbs up and thumbs down. So if we put a song in the light bucket and it has a 100% completion rate, then obviously we can move it up to medium because that means whenever it gets spun, they like it. Um, Then if it has 100% or anywhere between like a 90 to 100 in the medium bucket, then we'll move it up to power. Um, But essentially that that's really the difference. It's like we, it's more, the way they play is more like a, a radio station without ads um and in commentary so we also have the option to sequence these stations and that's where the buckets come into play because for example when you look on the back end it'll say like 
PML, PML, and then you can arrange how you want those to spin. So I can have two power songs play back to back, then a light song and a medium song, then another power song, or I can have power, medium, light, power, medium, light. Like you literally can curate how you want people to hear these songs um, and how much you want them to hear these songs based on the bucket they're in. Um, so as you can assume, like if uh, on our bigger stations that have like upwards of like a million listeners, if I were to, if a new artist were to come out with a great song and I, instead of putting them in just the indie stations, I decided I'm going to put them on our major new R&B station in the power bucket. Like you can just imagine how many spins that song is going to get. And it's organic. That's the dope thing. It's not like we're creating spins. Like people are listening to these stations and we're just curating them. Um, but we do have like, uh, what's it say so over where they're going. And that's pretty much it as far as like the difference. It's just more, it's more of a, a radio, like digital radio experience rather than playlists where you can just click through and listen to whatever you want. Yeah, I like, I like Pandora's format. And this isn't an ad, but you know, you work for a company. <laughs> um, I want to get into something that you mentioned before about um, money and budgeting uh, within R&B because, you know, you go to a club or a lounge or whatever, the R&B set is going to go crazy. Like, <laughs> like it's like, and it could be an 80s R&B set or it could be a 90s R&B set or it could be a 2000s R&B set. But either way, it, go, it goes crazy. Mm. And, you know, we see this every time we go out and it kind of blows my mind as to why executives and people just don't see why this isn't a lane where, you know, um, you can make a lot of money via marketing an R&B artist and where like the music is just good. It makes you feel good. Um, why do you think that the industry sort of shifted away from that? Um, two reasons. So for one, I just feel like executives have seen how lucrative hip hop is. So they're um, on top of them looping in R&B and hip hop, which is why you have so much melodic rap calling itself hip hop or not hip hop, R&B rather. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I feel like it's because of that box that they're putting R&B in. Um, but yes, I feel like they've seen that hip hop is so lucrative, so all of the funds are going there. And then secondly, hip hop, or not, I keep saying hip hop, <laughs> R&B is not a genre that can be solely, um, how can I explain it? You can't depict a star in R&B just off of numbers alone. Like a song having 34,000 streams versus 100,000 streams in R&B doesn't actually mean anything when we're talking about quality because a great song that could be a radio hit in R&B could have 10 spins because they don't know how to market themselves yet but they have the skill set they the the talent everything there but they don't know how to market themselves and I feel like in R&B there's this requirement to you really do have to develop these artists and I don't feel like labels are at a place right now where they want to spend money on developing artists because you're still in that sense you're taking a chance on it like yeah their, their music is great but what if they just can't tighten up as an artist to where it's lucrative for us versus in hip hop, what you're seeing is if the shit is viral with a bunch of numbers on it, you can just put money behind it and it'll go up for the time being. And it doesn't necessarily mean there's longevity there, but in the like uh, immediate future, it'll make them their money back because it's already viral. Um, so I just feel like the amount of investment required to make 
an R&B star is is a lot greater than the investment required for a hip hop star. And I personally feel like that's why you're not seeing that heavy, heavy investment in the newer artists, um, because you would have to take a chance on it. You can't just go on TikTok, find the hottest R&B song, sign them and boom, like it doesn't really work that way in R&B. Mm-hmm. Definitely does not. Um, you said something funny in the middle of your explanation. Uh, I don't know if it was on purpose, but you said like, like you said hip hop singing and then you corrected yourself and you said R&B rapping. And I was like, oh, shit. What's the difference? Um, there isn't a difference. I just am intentional with my words. OK. Um, okay yeah, cool, I don't, cool, don't want to cool. I don't want to give hip hop singers the mm-hmm. singing title because that's not what it is. Um so yeah, I just I just feel like <sighs> I don't have mixed feelings about this. I don't really like talking about it. <laughs> but um I don't really like that there's this overlap of melodic rap and classic RB. Like there's they're not the same and they shouldn't be put in the same bucket. And I hate that they are because a melodic rapper is not singing a Beyonce song with all her runs and glory. Like it's not happening at all. So it's like, but Beyonce could rap or sing one of the melodic rapper songs though. And I hate to, like, I, right. obviously it's Beyonce, but it's just like, I, I don't like the overlap. And I feel like one of the main problems I'm seeing too in R&B is like, we're getting, cause I'm getting it a lot too with these sub, the submissions. It's just like all this melodic rap. And it's like, this is not R&B. Like y'all need to stop calling this shit that. It's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many <laughs> dope artists get overlooked when, when we, play, that, when, when yeah. we the lines, like And it's just like, ugh. and it's, and I hate, and the reason why I hate talking about it is because on one end, like I have mixed feelings about it. Like on one end, I do feel the genre should grow, right? And I feel like in that sense, like to that same point, I feel like melodic rap should be a subgenre of hip hop. That should not be R&B because there's so many subgenres anyway. Like why can't we box that in with rap? Like why do we have to accept non-singing as R&B just because they're kind of holding a note? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but then and then an R&B uh, frame, I just feel like, well, also why I hate talking about it. It's like, I, I do feel like the genre should grow. Like, I don't, I hate that people always compare today's R&B to 90s and 2000s. Like, all right, can we get away from that? Like, granted, yes, there's elements of that R&B in that time period that we do want to retain. And I wish we still had. Like, I, I don't feel like we we have too many singers, singers today, like, it's, it's not too many kids can sing now <laughs> and the ones that can aren't getting shine it's unfortunate. Um, but I do think that it's hindering the genre when we kind of like x these newer kids out the equation because their music doesn't sound like classic R&B it's not supposed to like everything is supposed to um evolve like music is supposed to be, it's supposed to evolve. 90s R&B, I'm sure sounds nothing like 50s R&B if that was a thing. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, and 50s R&B was a thing. We just, we don't know what it was, but to that, mm. at that point, that's what it was. You know what I'm saying? It was so just like, blues, no rhythm, just blues. Exactly. It's, it's something. And what we had at, in the 90s was not the same thing as that time period. And even as far as like just 10 years ahead of it, the 80s R&B don't sound like the 90s R&B and I don't hear... 90s kids oh I wish we were sounding like the 80s like no it doesn't happen then so I don't understand why we can't accept like this transition now 
like and again like I do think we do need to get back to some of the fundamentals like you should be able to sing like I don't like that these artists can't sing on stage like what the fuck is that that's not R&B um but as far as like production and things like that like we should be experimenting with production there's nothing wrong that's why I'm so happy to wrap this point up that Steve Lacey is number two right now mm, because Steve. that is not classic R&B but that's R&B it for sure is R&B mm-hmm. all right y'all you know this was a wonderful conversation <laughs> Sorry, um, I was <laughs> oh no 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 not at all not at all um I just want to end with one more question which is you know we got the whole is R&B dead conversation which I'm not I wasn't gonna you know waste your time with <laughs> but um I what I do want to know is do you think that we are in an era that there's a concerted effort to like sort of push R&B to the side. Do you think that there is that the cycle is just going to restart where, you know, it becomes popular and profitable again? Or do you think that this is a time where we should be making a concerted effort to like be pushing it into that space again? I think we a hundred percent need to be making a concerted effort to push it into that space because from a business standpoint, if something's not making money, we're not like as a business owner. And you also have to understand like within the music industry, the business owners are white as a business owner. I'm not going to keep dumping money into something that's not lucrative. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to be a cycle there unless we force the issue, which is why like, I really appreciated the conversation around division song. And I do want to just say, like, I, I don't have anything against the vision. I do love his voice. Like, he's an amazing singer, and his older music was incredible. Um, but I didn't like that single, and I and obviously a lot of people didn't like it either. And I just feel like I appreciate the discourse around it because it's it kind of just shows that we want something better. Like, audiences want to hear better music, and right. I feel like we're finally at that place, which is why we keep having the same R and B Z conversation, even though it's not really helping anything to just keep talking about it instead of just making better music. Um, it, it does kind of just underscore the fact that we do have to make an effort to make the better music. If we want this to be pushed to the forefront again, um, because what is mainstream right now is not really doing shit for anybody. Right. It's very true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess we'll end there, you know, this has been a wonderful conversation, you know, um, and we definitely got to do a part two or something like that. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out my format for extended content. Uh, I haven't figured it out, but when I do, I'm a, I'm a spin a block on all my old guests. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll definitely join the convo. I'm happy to do so. Right. Right. So go ahead and let the people know where they can find you on the internet. If you want them to. Yeah. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter and IG at Yan Y-A-N. Sneed S-N-E-A-D. Um, should be the same everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, that's it. I don't want y'all to find me anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and uh any other projects or plugs that you want to push also um, for this space? <laughs> yes. Uh if you guys do have Pandora or if you don't, I I think you should get on there. And it's free. Yeah. <laughs> I have an interview I mean, coming out tonight with Zia Bell ooh, um, for the release of her album on women in R&B. So definitely check that out. And then if you can't find the link, I will be posting it on my page tonight. Alrighty. And there you have it. So uh, everything versus Mike History related can be found at versus Mike History.com. 
uh, sign up to the newsletter, uh, join the Patreon members only community, and uh, VS Mike History on Twitter versus Mike History on TikTok and Instagram. Peace out, people. <laughs>